and she has been mentoring women for more than 25 years. She is the blessed mother of nine children, and I love this ending. Are you ready? And four grandchildren so far. <laughs> Aren't we happy to have Michael Ann Martin with us this morning? Thank you, Lynn. You're really good at those introductions. Super. Thank you so much. I am uh, super excited to be here with you. When Lynn asked me to uh, share our experience having special needs children and what that looks like in the church and in our faith community, I, I was honored because I really do feel like it's a blessing to be an advocate for uh, those that are disabled in our community and um, it's, it's easy, easier when they're in your family because God gives, gives us this taste of um, a little bit of heaven in what doesn't look like heaven. And that's why when I chose this title, you know, Finding Jesus in the Disguise of Those with Special Needs. And it really stems from something Mother, Saint Mother Teresa told us um, that we find Jesus in the distressing disguise of the poor. And I really believe that um, our, our special needs community have, have a, a type of poverty in, in, in their life, and it's up to us to find Christ in them. And um, what a joy to be able to celebrate, you know, the 50th anniversary of Humana Vitae. I wanted to share with you a little bit just about me. I, before, um, before Curtis and I read the document Humana Vitae, I was a college co-ed. I wasn't at all interested in getting married. I didn't think I wanted children. What I wanted was success. I wanted prestige. I wanted power. You know, it was the day of the woman. And um, the idea of getting married and having children was just not at all success in my mind. And God brought Curtis and I together after I had graduated college. And we weren't even dating one another. But he suggested that we all look into what it meant to to discern our vocations. And some of the, the other people in our, in our group were wanting to read documents. And so one of the first things we did was we dove into some of the church's beautiful documents on the married vocation. And, and, and quite frankly, Humana Vitae and these other documents changed, changed me, changed my heart. And I'm gonna try and see if I can do this. I've never done a PowerPoint before, so just click the top button. Okay, there they are. So these were the winners. These were the top on marriage and family. Cassie Canubi was written by Pope Pius XI. It's on chaste wedlock. There was Familiaris Consortio, which is on the Christian family in the modern world, written by St. Pope John Paul II. And then Humana Vitae, which was written by St. Pope Paul VI, and what a great gift. These documents gave us a framework as young single people to actually say, if we get married, we wanna be radical, we wanna be all in. And it's beautiful that now, even in, especially in this diocese, we have a beautiful programming of our young engaged couples actually going through what it means to actually live out some of these documents and to learn what natural family planning is and what a gift we have been given in the church. But, but after that, I think we have to understand that, that God has given us this gift, if we're called to the married vocation, to cooperate with him 
and to, to, to love life, to actually in, married, in, a, in a marriage to be open to life. And that's where my heart changed because not only did I all of a sudden want to get married, but I wanted children because if God wanted us to have children, if this is how we were to live our faith as, as married couples, then we wanted to be all in. And we began to realize that, that this, um, this family that God gives each one of the married couples is, is an image of the domestic church. We're all called to be church. And so one of the things that um, I wanted to share with you is my family. Because we've been blessed with two special needs children. Michael, the youngest, is four, has Down syndrome. And then we have a 20-year-old, Philip, who is autistic. And I have to tell you, I, I don't think I, you ever meet a couple that says, I really, I hope God blesses us with special needs children. Because it's, it's not an easy road to walk as a family. But, but this, to me, is church. This is family. We have three children who are married now, and what a blessing that is. We have a young son who's going through a very difficult separation. I have younger boys that are actually discerning priestly vocation, thanks be to God, and believe that God's put that on their heart. And, and this, is, this is life, this is, this is the church. And so when I, when I was challenged to give this talk, I was like, it's all about the church. We are the church. And in as much as God has blessed our family with special needs children, he has, he has blessed our faith community with special needs people. And, and disabilities are, are many. It's not just Down syndrome or autism. There's physical dis disabilities. There's mental disabilities. And, and we are called to love these people, to love them as Christ. This is Christ for us. And, um, and I just want to stress that all life is precious. And, and I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here because you all know that, or you wouldn't be here. We're celebrating life, and all life is precious. And sometimes um, we get caught up also that life is messy. I'm showing you my nine beautiful children, but what you don't know is that we also have nine souls that are up with the Lord that we've lost. And, and when you're open to life, I think we're also open to loss. We're open to God's will. And that looks different for every couple, for every family. But to have a heart to be open to his will, open to life, is a beautiful thing. And in the documents of Humana Vitae, it, the, there are phrases of, of generosity and being open to God's will, of being responsible, of prayerfully discerning in married life what this looks like for you. And I think that's, that's truly key. It was key for Curtis and myself that we, we, we prayed and we asked God if, if, to bless us with children. And, and if we couldn't have children, then bless us with his will. And I think we need to ha have that mentality in, in, our, in our faith community. Because uh, every, everyone could look at Michael and say he's adorable. <laughs> he is the cutest little kid. Four years old, Down syndrome, he's pure love. He really is, and he's pure joy. Now, it's gonna be a lot harder when they become adult. They're not quite as cute, and we notice that. The special needs adults in our community aren't as attractive, and they're harder to care for, but this is where God is asking us to meet him. And um, I would say also that um, for families that have special needs children, we are given an, a unique opportunity to, to meet Christ in ways that those who don't live with special needs people 
realize the ability to be able to die to self becomes a little bit greater. And in that dying to self, there's this amazing thing happens. There's actually more joy. There's more peace because there's God's grace. And so I really do feel like we've been blessed with our, our special needs kiddos. What I also come to know is that our society, our culture is afraid because they are more work and, and they, they really can sometimes take it out of you emotionally, physically, financially. And we're living in a culture, as the deacon shared with us, that it, everyone is pursuing pleasure. And guess what? Caring for people with special needs is not easy. Oftentimes it doesn't bring the worldly pleasure that, that we're told in the media and secularly that we should be pursuing. But there's, a, there's a, a mystical joy that comes with caring for these people. And, and you may hear people say, well, it's, it's okay if we abort these children because they're really going to have a lower quality of life. And we're actually sparing them having lower quality of life. So therefore, let's just end their life early. And I think we have to jump out of that mindset and say, absolutely not. God wants them here. And, and we will be better when we welcome them. And so um, I, I do think we're living in a crazy cultural time and things are changing. And it's all the more important that we stand up, that we advocate for, for, for all people, all dignity, at all stages of life, in, in the womb, up until natural death. And it's going to get more challenging. I had the great fortune of not knowing that either Michael or Philip was going to have any developmental disability when I was, when I was pregnant for them. And I, I do think, uh, even had we known, Curtis and I have a strict no return policy, so it wouldn't have mattered. But I think, I think God spared me knowing because I, I do think that um, in our society, when, when people are given news of certain tests, tests for this, tests for that, and if you don't want this child, we can take care of that for you. I'd, I wouldn't have even gone there, but that's what's being offered. And, um, and so I wanna share some sad news with you before I get to the good news. And um, the sad news is there really is a Holocaust going on that um, many of our Down syndrome babies are being aborted. And these are statistics that I got online and I wanted to share. But in Iceland, 100% of the 80 to 85% of women who are tested positive for Down syndrome in their baby abort. In Denmark, 98% who test positive for Down syndrome abort their babies. And in the United States, 65% of the mothers who test positive for Down syndrome abort their children. And here's the fact, these tests are not even 100% accurate. So women are aborting babies who they're afraid might have Down syndrome. And, and how frightening that is, that this, this is the time in which we're living, that life can be so um, expendable. And, and it's just not the way God wants us to live. I have the great fortune of knowing my good friend, Mary Collette, who began the organization called Prenatal Partners for Life. And this organization helps couples who have one of these tests, and, and she helps them either with finances, 
finding adoptive parents if, if they don't feel like they can care for a child with special needs, or caring for them emotionally and, and financially, medically, whatever it is. But what a beautiful organization she started because they lost a son who had had severe special needs. And they lost him medically. They, they were not supported at all in the, in the faith community, medical community. And just what a beautiful testi testimony her organization is. And so I want to throw that out there. But sadly, of those parents, they keep their babies and their, or their children are diagnosed with some sort of developmental learning disability. There's an increase of divorce. And the numbers are staggering. Research supports that 25% of children with disabilities live with their single mother, and 5% live with a single father, which represents a higher percentage than kids without disabilities who live with single parents. And how sad that is that our, our communities, I don't believe, are doing as much as we can to support these parents. And Curtis and I could tell you firsthand, going to autism conferences, Down syndrome conferences, most of the population are single moms. That the dads couldn't handle it and walked out. But then to hear that there's even 5% of dads where mom couldn't handle it and mom walked out. And so what could we even do as a faith community to possibly support these parents? Because I don't know of any support group for single parents with special needs kids in our area. And maybe God's put that on my heart to, to begin something. Because once I started mining these, these details, I, it became very um, apparent to me that maybe God might be asking more of me. Because in the beginning, when, um, when I, we first had Michael, I was 48 years old. He was our, our ninth pregnancy to come to, to full term. And we didn't know he had Down syndrome. And when he was born, I cried. I was very fearful. I, I, I was arguing with God, look, we already have, a, a, at that time, a 16-year-old uh, male with autism who I'm struggling to love, and you're giving me another special needs child? Because both Curtis and I knew. We just saw in his sweet little face something, something was different. And then, of course, they do the genetic testing, and he came back with Down syndrome. But I, I wrestled with God, like, why would you do this? And now I, would, I wouldn't change it for, all, for anything in the world because Michael has been such a joy and brought so much joy, joy to our home. But that this what I want to do is, is be an advocate. And so I'm happy, Lynn, to be here to, to be an advocate and, and to, to encourage all of you to be an advocate as well. But the bad news gets a little bit worse because not only are most of these kiddos living in single-parent homes, but there's an increase of sexual abuse in children and adults with disabilities. It's frightening. It's staggering what is going on and how we are not doing what we can to protect these people. But nationally, one in 10 neurotypical children will be sexually abused before they're 18 years old. One in 10. That number is increased to one in three children with a disability. So that could be any sort of uh, developmental disability, physical disability, Down syndrome, you name it, but one in three. And, and that we need, to, we need to, to wrap our minds around this. Females are five times more likely to be used than their male counterparts. And 60% of the children who are sexually abused never tell anyone. 
Now, that's increased all the more in the developmental disability community because they have a difficulty communicating. Many have, have difficulty verbalizing, let alone bringing the thoughts out. And there might be ways that we could actually help prevent. And 90% um, of child sexual abuse victims, victims know their abusers, and the parents actually trust these people. And so we need to step up our game to be advocates that uh, kids with disabilities are 3.44 times more likely to be a victim of some type of, of abuse. And that this, this should weigh on our hearts because these are people that, that cannot stand up for themselves. And, and God is asking us to stand up for them. And so maybe there could be a way that we could act in a way that could help them and help the church. And there's hope. So this is the good news. I think it's important you know the bad news so that we can get to the good news and we can get to what we can do to advocate for our special needs people. And I think there's no better person to go to than our Lord Jesus himself. At the final judgment, when he's, when he's telling us about the final judgment in Matthew 25, this is what he says. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. A stranger and you welcomed me. Naked and you clothed me. Ill and you cared for me. In prison and you visited me. This is how we can meet Jesus. And because this speaks to me as, as a mom, because this, this is family life. What do we do? We care for our kids. Well, hopefully, first off, we generously welcome them into the world. Then we care for them. We clothe them. We food them. I, I, we, food them. we give them food. I like, even like to think I visit them in prison. You know, when you walk in that nursery and the baby's screaming in the crib, you're like, ah, I'm visiting me in prison. <laughs> I'm even going to set you free. But we live that in family life. And it's, you need to know, though, as, as parents of special needs children, they experience this in a more intense way. And we, as a faith community, can be more supportive. We can be more loving, not only to their children, but to the caregivers. You know, Mother Teresa, I think she would say that the more in need a person is, the more Jesus is present in them. And Jesus is real. He's with us in the Eucharist, but in our special needs population. And he's inviting us to meet him in these people, children, adults, all across the, the gamut. And, um, and so we have a responsibility, though, to, to say yes, to accept the invitation. And that's where I think we can get practical and say, what could we do as a faith community to be more proactive, to be more encouraging, to be more loving. Because if, if we really do respect life, we respect all life. And so this is, this is a little bit on our shoulders. I like to think that we get to embrace Jesus in a special way, that Jesus is inviting us in a more intimate way to be close to him. And as we are the church, we can be uh, more active. And some thoughts that came to mind for me was that um, our parishes should be an oasis 
for these families. And yet oftentimes, when a parent who is struggling with a child with a developmental disability, they'll be making more noise in the church, they might even be screaming, throwing a temper tantrum, they get looks of condemnation, of judgment. I've even had people turn around and say, shh, quiet that kid. No idea what I'm dealing with or what the child's dealing with, but irritated that there's noise in church. I even had a good friend, she has six kids, one with special needs, where going to daily mass with six small children is a huge feat, huge. And I give her such props because she's a holy, holy mom. And one day in mass, a woman had the audacity to tell her, I hate it when you bring your kids to mass. And that was at one of our parishes. This is real and it's happening. And we can change by, by being compassionate by being caring, by, by I, I was even thinking, wouldn't it be great if we offered some sort of respite care or help for these families in our parishes that maybe offer one night at the parish, I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, sign out the youth room and I'm gonna get a couple of you know, big, strong high school students and I'm gonna invite anyone who has a special needs, adult or child, come over to the church, do an activity, you go for a couple hours and we'll give you free respite care. Do you know what that would do? That would change their life. Because just two hours of, of real practical sweat and blood help makes all the difference in the world. And that's where our faith comes alive. And so if, if, if God puts on your heart something like that, Curtis always says, give expression to your impressions. And if he gives you an impression, give it expression in your parish. Maybe, here's an amazing thing, if you see a mom struggling or a dad in mass or, and, and just really having a hard time, go up to them after mass and encourage them. Say, hey, I'm really glad you were here. Oftentimes what I do, I just pray right there. Kids are temper tantruming in mass. I just say a little prayer for that mom and dad. Give them strength, give them courage because they are walking a walk that many of you will never experience but you can help them. You can still walk with them and encourage them. And so offering um, these ideas, our parish does have a special needs sacramental prep class. And we have kiddos of all ages, when they're time to receive their sacramental prep, they come to this Saturday morning class. And again, it's a great respite for the parents as well. And so there's, there's many things that, that are out there that we could do. But I, by, but I encourage you to, to search your own heart, to ask the Lord uh, how you could be encouraging, you could be Christ to these parents that are suffering, to these children that are actually Christ to us. It's a, it's a beautiful meditation to take to your prayer and to possibly come up with some sort of resolution that if we say we're pro-life, how can we truly encourage and support these parents and families who are, who are struggling a harder road than we might be walking. And um, so I wanted to share, um, that's our family now. And as the four grandchildren, I have two of those young moms now have babies growing within them. And what a blessing God, God has given us in our family. But in Denver, we have this wonderful respectlifedenver.org on the arch, uh, on the, go on the websites, and if you click the family tab at the top, and you can stream down, there's a tab for special needs. Our, we have wonderful resources 
here in the diocese that I encourage you to make known in your parish, to share with parents, guidelines of celebrating the sacraments, there's adoption information, the prenatal partners for life is on there, and I, I think it's a great resource that many of us don't even know about, but in our diocese, we're doing things to change, to make it better. And so I, I encourage you to look at that, go there, do some of the research, and take this to your prayer, because I really do believe we are the church, and it's up to the laity to help one another, to walk with one another, to support our priests and our sisters, but these families especially, to support them in a way that could encourage them in their own faith walk, but be just real, true, loving Jesus in the disguise of the poor. And so thank you for your time. I, I know I kind of tried to share a lot of information, but I hope you will leave with a sense of mission and a sense of hope because God loves these special people so incredibly much. Sometimes I think he loves them more than he loves us. I know it's not true, but he loves everyone. And I think he's given us these special people to meet him in a more intimate way and to know him more truly and see his face in their face. So thank you very much.